Thanks for downloading this History Hub podcast. In this episode, a recording from the 2014 Tudor and Stuart Ireland Conference, which was held at NUI Maynooth. The conference, now in its fourth year, was generously supported by the UCD School of History and Archives, UCD Research, Marsh's Library, Graduate Studies at NUI Maynooth, and the Department of History at NUI Maynooth. This podcast features a paper by James Sheridan of Trinity College Dublin. His paper was entitled An Elusive Settlement, The Negotiations of Lord Deputy Sir Henry Sidney and Turlock Lennox O'Neill, 1575-1579. to uh, Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, this lecture will explore the reasons underlying the failure of the Crown's representative, Lord Deputy Sir Henry Sidney, to conclude a lasting agreement with Turlock Lennox O'Neill, the leading, the leading Gaelic Ulster Irish magnate during the period 1575-9. to I will argue that such an agreement would have had the effect of ending the continuous conflict between the Crown on one hand and the Gaelic Lords on the other. Under such an agreement, the Crown would recognise Thurlock Lennox as Lord of his lands in West Tyrone and Derry and grant him a noble title, legal rights and powers in return for his submission to Crown authority and the payment of an annual royal rent. Accordingly, this would ensure a peaceful extension of Crown authority over Ulster and avoid the outright destruction of the Gaelic order which sadly occurred in the early 17th century and as such a unique opportunity for the survival of of the Gaelic aristocracy was lost. On the face of things, the timing for such an agreement seemed ideal as following the cancellation of the enterprise of Walter Devereux, Earl of Essex, in May 1575, which had ended in a complete and utter debacle, the Privy Council decided that a new policy was needed to secure Crown authority in Ulster. This, of course, meant an end to the Crown's plans to introduce English colonists into Ulster and a renewed effort by, Crown, by government officials to restore their authority through the coercing of Gaelic magnates into negotiating a settlement. The opportunity for such a deal was possible, given that Essex had, following the end of his enterprise in June 1575, signed a peace treaty with Thurlock Lennock O'Neill, the main Gaelic opponent of Crown authority in Ulster, that formalised his control of West Tyrone, O'Kane, and Maguire, and secured an end to hostilities in central and western Ulster. Furthermore, that summer, there was the reinstatement of Sir Henry Sidney as Lord Deputy, a figure widely admired amongst the Gaelic-Irish, who had in turn enter, sought to enter into negotiations with Thurlough Lennox since the late 1560s, and who had been forced into accepting Essex's plantation by the Crown. However, ironically, given the circumstances, what came to determine Anglo-Gaelic relations during this period was a continuation of the Crown's inability to firmly agree lasting terms and a conclusive settlement with the major Gaelic magnates of Ulster, which had defined the earlier period between the death of Shane O'Neill and the arrival of Sir Thomas Smith in 1571. This scenario served to undermine Crown efforts to pacify the Gaelic lords of the region. Accordingly, this lecture will expose the key reasons for the unravelling of reconciliation efforts in Ulster, notably one, the existing tensions in the province, two, the troublesome policy of composition, three, Sydney's inability to successfully counter Thurlock Lennox's influence, four, inconclusive negotiations with Gaelic magnates, five, Sydney's unfortunate absence from Ulster, six, negative ground interference, and seven, and last, most importantly, lastly, poor political timing on Dublin's behalf. Firstly, amongst the ten reasons which undermined Sydney's efforts to conclude a peace with Thurlock Lennox was the unstable political climate then prevalent in Ulster. Despite the presence of Thurlock Lennox's peace with Essex, which had formalised much of the authority he exerted over 
West Tyrone and Central Ulster. And the recognition of major Gaelic dynasts such as Hugh O'Donnell as lords of their state, tensions still remained in Ulster. Furthermore, in East, East Ulster remained destabilised politically by Essex's early adventure with the Macdonald Scots of the Glens, who were in outright rebellion after the brutal English massacre of some 600 of their people in late July 1575 on Rathlin Island. Moreover, the Crown's Gaelic allies were weakened after years of conflict and often at odds with each other. Another consequence of Essex's withdrawal from Ulster was the confirming of Thurlough Linnock as the most powerful Gaelic magnate in the province. Essex's disastrous plantation enterprise had had the effect of galvanising much of Thurlough Linnock's supporters in Ulster behind him, even amongst those seps who had previously rejected his authority. This meant that, in addition to his control of West Tyrone, overlordship over Cain, Maguire and McMahon, and estates east of the Blackwater, Thurlock effectively dominated most of the province, signalling his position as Gaelic Ulster's pre-eminent lord. As such, he posed a major threat to Dublin in that he could effectively counteract their designs in Ulster. However, before reaching an agreement with Thurlock, Dublin felt it necessary to counter his influence through a system of strategic alliance and the creation of a rival power block in Ulster to hinder his dominance. This meant utilising Crown agents and old allies of Essex such as Hugh O'Donnell, Lord of Tyrconn, Hugh O'Neill and Sir Nicholas Bagnall to offset Thurlough Linnock's influence. This policy signalled an aggressive step by Dublin in that rather than concluding a hasty agreement with Thurlough Linnock, they sought to contest his position to secure better terms for themselves. Hence, tensions were high in the province. The second contributory factor was the policy of composition. Concurrent to these destabilising events, Sir Henry Sidney also sought to install the policy of composition in Ulster, under which Sydney not sought not only to restore Crown authority, but also the destruction of the Gaelic tradition of coin and livering, in order to make Dublin government self-sufficient in three years through the raising of rents from the Gaelic Irish aristocracy, who, in return for entering into this policy, would receive their lands granted back to them from the Crown, while simultaneously obtaining the status of an hereditary English title, Effectively, this meant an end to, Gaelic pri- to private Gaelic armies and the establishment of Dublin as the dominant military force in Ireland. However, to see this policy implemented, Sydney had not only to negotiate with the often belligerent Gaelic lords, but also to overcome the opposition of the Privy Council, who saw composition as too conciliatory to the Gaelic lords and preferred a policy of establishing freeholders or plantations, regional councils and the installation of Crown garrisons across the province. Therefore, Sydney was frustratingly undermined by a conservative privy council opposed to his innovative policies. A third mitigating factor was the ongoing problem of dealing with Thurlock Linnock and tense Gaelic negotiations. To proceed with reconciliation with the Crown and the Gaelic Lords, Sydney would, show, would primarily be forced into confronting Thurlock Linnock O'Neill in order to secure peace in the province. Initial tense negotiations between Thurlock and Sydney occurred shortly after the latter's return to Ireland in late October 1575, near Armagh. Prior to this charged meeting, Sydney had astutely sought to restore a Crown faction in Ulster in order to create a viable power block to oppose Thurlock Linnock's overwhelming military power at the time. Through this, Sydney could hope that he could force Thurlock to recognise Dublin's authority even before negotiations began and mediate a favourable settlement for the Crown. Accordingly, Sydney had, pr- had travelled prior to meeting Thurlock Linnock to East Ulster, 
where he had not only refortified the garrison town of Carrickfergus, which had late been burned by the Scots, but also courted the MacQuinnans, and even gone as far as to meet with sorely boy MacDonald, previously Thurlock Linnock's staunchest ally and friend. Using Sorley's fears of his nephews, the sons of James MacDonald, whose mother was Thurlock's wife, to drive a wedge between the two men, Sidney concluded a peace with Thurlock, with, sorry, with Sorley, thereby robbing Thurlock of his naval support and access to Scottish mercenaries. Additionally, Sidney even contacted Hugh McGuinness O'Hanlon, Coo Connacht Maguire and Arthur Ruach MacMahon about breaking their loyalty to Thurlock in return for titles and freedom from his exactions. If combined with the Crown's existing allies such as Hugh O'Neill, Thurlock Braslock O'Neill and Hugh O'Donnell, who formed the hope of opposition to Thurlock Lennon, these steps would firmly counter Thurlock. Yet despite these meticulous preparations, there remained weak points in Sorley's position that Thurlock could all too easily take advantage of. For example, the Crown was unwilling to risk another conflict in the province due to their hefty financial losses and political setbacks suffered by the earlier Essex enterprise. Another factor was the issue that Thurlock Linnock had recently seen his position in Ulster further strengthened through the escape of Con O'Donnell and Con O'Neill from Crown imprisonment. These two individuals served to undermine the Crown's allies in Ulster, with Con O'Donnell contesting control of Tyrconnell with his uncle Hugh, while Con O'Neill threatening to ignite another Gaelic rebellion in the Clan de Boy. Therefore, presuming he was in a position of strength when meeting with Sydney and Armagh in late October, Thurlock outlined his desire to have his treaty with Essex ratified, be ennobled, and be granted additional strategic lands across the River Blackwater, which allow him to crush his O'Neill rivals in East Tyrone. While Thurlock's request for ennoblement perfectly suited Sydney's policy of composition, he was already prepared, as he was already prepared at this time, to rise Hugh McGuinness to the rank of Baron. Thurlock's potential new estates would effectively crush any crown hopes of curtailing his power. Furthermore, while Sydney was willing to squabble with Thurlock over terms in order to ensure a better deal for the crown, he still faced the problem of how to deal with Hugh O'Neill, the rightful heir to the Earl of Tyrone, who at this time had been a remarkably loyal and able crown servant. This meant that although Thurlock, Thurlock could still appeal for his treaty with Essex to be granted, his designs to dominate East Ulster would be frustrated. Sidney had now formally shown Thurlock his intention was to defend and advance the cause of the O'Neills, especially Hugh O'Neill, at the expense of Thurlock's claims, hindering peace efforts. However, Sidney still needed to deliver and be consolatory on his promises to the Gaelic lords of the region in order to fully win their support, as well as being able to recognise Thurlock as lord of the lands he controlled. This was essential if he was to introduce his policy of composition and if he was to secure peace in the province. The fourth obstacle to an Ulster settlement was the, was the Crown interference in Sydney's Ulster policy. Despite meeting with Thurlockland, Sydney was still dependent on the Privy Council formally recognising Thurlock's treaty with Essex and approving the introduction of Sydney's policy of composition into Ulster. However, from January 1576 onwards, Sydney began to encounter Crown interference that served to undermine his ability to mediate with Thurlock Lennock. This was coupled with Sidney's need to divide his attention between Ulster on one hand and the rest of Ireland on the other, which entailed him touring the country from November 1575 to the spring of 76, and undermined his efforts to firmly reconcile with Thurlock Lennock. In terms of interference, however, firstly the Crown in January 1576, though agreeing to make Thurlock an Earl, 
specified that his ordained heir Art was only to become a baron, rebutting Thurlock's desire to establish a dynasty. Secondly, Thurlock's claims in East Ulster and over McMahon were also dismissed. Thirdly, Sydney's plans to establish a viable crown alliance in Ulster through the policy of composition began to falter. In the first test case of composition, that of granting the Lordship of Ivey, which encompasses much of modern-day County Derry, down to the loyalist Hugh McGuinness, the Crown, while agreeing to make Hugh a baron, decided to subdivide his estates amongst freeholders from his extensive dynastic rivals and demanded an increase in rent which he was expected to pay. This regressive, insensitive interference meant that Despite token acceptance of Sydney's policy of composition, the Crown had reverted to its previous strategy of establishing Crown-backed freeholders to break the power of major Gaelic magnates, ultimately undermining Sydney's authority and threatening the position and power of his allies. Following this, throughout 1576, Sydney sought to avoid going to Ulster, either to meet with Thurlock or the minor lords, he was as if as he was afraid that the terms he offered by the, by the Crown might incite further rebellion. Concurrent with these events, in, on July 23, 1576, Essex returned to Ireland, signalling his intention to launch a new plantation enterprise in Ulster, notably in Island McGee and Farney. However, soon after arriving in Ireland, Essex was seized with a suspicious flux and on September 22nd died in Dublin, ending his enterprise. While this spared Sydney having to deal with Essex, who was reviled in Ulster for his brutal reputation. Scandal now hung over his administration regarding the circumstance of Essex's death, who, until his death, remained a favourite of Queen Elizabeth and, of, and, a, and a, one of her few kinsmen. Another factor was political stagnation and the failure to implement Crown policy. Finally, a combination of factors including, including contributed to the collapse and failure of Dublin's peace-building exercises. With his administration crumbling and under pressure, from Crown, under pressure from the Crown to arrive at a quick solution in Ulster, Sydney, in early 1577, travelled north from Dublin, officially to announce the ratification of Thurlock's treaty with Essex and to conclude a final settlement with Thurlock. However, Thurlock, aware of Sydney's problems, avoided meeting with Sydney, snubbing his invitations in order to solicit further concessions. Unable to come to terms with Thurlock Lindock directly, Sydney now reverted to strengthening his, his alliances with Thurlock's opponents, and in March granted Arthur Rue of MacMahon letters patent to O'Reilly, recognising his lordship in return for rent and service under the policy of composition. Following this composition's success, however, Sydney was refused permission to extend this policy again by a sceptical Privy Council, who still felt only the breaking of Gaelic lordships into smaller units or freeholds would secure English authority. Therefore, Sydney realised his surest way of achieving stability in Ulster was not through building up factions, as he was unable to properly reward his allies with titles due to Crown opposition to composition, but by dealing with Thurlock Lindock directly. So, determined to reach an accord, in, in August 1577, Sydney travelled to Newry, where he was met by Thurlock Lindock, who submitted, ratified his peace treaty with Essex, and asked for the title of Earl. This signalled Thurlock's desire to hold his estates from Elizabeth and maintain his peace in return for recognition of his lands and authority. Consequently, Thurlock was ennobled in May 1579 and granted the title Earl of Clancunnel and Baron of Clare, officially recognising the power he exerted over Ulster and, cru and crucially granting him control of the strategic barony of Clare 
and the lands of Clon Connell, who, whose connotations it's, unlike, it's unlikely Sydney were aware of, as at, at that time that included Tyr Connell and the lands of the O'Donnells. Following this, however, opposition to his policy, with opposition to his policies mounting, Sydney was recalled in February 1578. Due to this, the titles he had issued to Thurlough were lost, as their patent was not recognised at court, undoing all of, his, of Sydney's negotiations. Meanwhile, in Ulster, Thurlock, due to, his, due to his severe alcoholism and the death of his eldest son, began to feel similarly under threat, and after falling gravely ill in November 1578, recovered shortly at, recovered in, Feb, in a, January 1579 to discover that Dublin government, anticipating his death, had taken steps to ensure the succession of his rival, Hugh O'Neill, as the leading Gaelic, ma- Gaelic magnate in, in Tyrone. Consequently, Thurlough began to rebuild his military strength, effectively signalling the end of the Crown's ability, of the Crown's attempts to reconcile with him. In conclusion, this chain of events represents a missed opportunity by the Crown to extend its authority into Ulster and for Gaelic lords to have their estates recognised. From his arrival, Sydney attempted to establish a power balance in Ulster to counter Thurlough Linnock with English allies. However, this wasted valuable time to agree a binding settlement with Thurlock Linnock, which both, which both men desired, as Sydney deviated into playing power games rather than formulating an enduring treaty. Meanwhile, Thurlock Linnock, though eager to maintain his authority and uphold his advantageous treaty with Essex, was loath to compromise on his demands to be ennobled and his concern to spread his influence. Moreover, though Sydney's policy of composition was attractive on paper, its implementation was curtailed, not so much by a lack of uptake in the province, but by scepticism in Whitehall, which manifested itself in continued calls from court to establish freeholders or secure higher rates of income from, from Ulster, despite the detrimental effects such policies would have had on negotiations with individual Gaelic magnates, who still remained eager to maintain the unity of their lordships. Forced to deal with a series of impossible proposals, therefore, Sydney avoided direct involvement in the province in order to escape the venom of Gaelic lords, who would no doubt be horrified by the base and insulting terms being offered. The only time the Privy Council intervened with any intensity, though, was the short-lived effort to install Essex in Ulster, which is much to scandalise Sydney's administration. Accordingly, despite a notable success in introducing composition into Oriel, Sydney and his administration came under intense renewed scrutiny from Whitehall, concerning a number of setbacks outside Ulster, once again distracting Crown attention from the province. Finally, when terms were agreed with Thurlock, Sydney's prompt departure and political shenanigans surrounding Thurlock's sudden illness rendered this unique opportunity for peace in Ulster wasted. Through human error, power games on both sides, lack of legislative commitment and external distractions. Thank you.